Genesis chapter 39. I'm reading from the ESV version. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in-house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concerns about anything but the food he ate. Can you imagine? (laughs) Awesome. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever it was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. It's, um, it's hard, it was hard to choose what to read about Joseph this morning and, and there's a whole lot that goes before that and after that as well, but um, it's a great story. Seems like we've had a whole lot happen in the service already, haven't we? We've had, you know, all sorts of, we've been up here, we've been down here, we've been over here, we've been, you know, we've looked up here at Jacob, you know, we've, um, but God is good and 
you know, the message that I want, that I have in my heart this morning, um, kind of lines up with that. And, um, so I just want to pray for, for, for patience for our heads to hear what God has to say this morning, for the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and also for Him to work in me as, um, as I share this morning. I, um, in the last six months to a year, I've had, on a number of occasions, had opportunities to have conversations with people, um, as 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 you do and as I do, but particularly around people being in places or situations that they didn't expect to be in. Um, perhaps you know the the plan that they had or um, the way that they were going, and all of a sudden things were different than they expected and and I, I call them life's detours and how life sometimes um, takes us on unexpected detours. Um, you know, and that can happen for us individually but also happens for us as families and it can be a situation, it can be, it can be whatever and it happens to us as churches as we experience week in, week out. And we're going to focus, I wanted to look at Joseph because Joseph for me, many years ago, this was a story that um, that helped me understand a little bit more about a detour that um, God had me on. But it's also true for nations. You see, Israel, they went on a 40-year detour. Do you know that someone said that the actually, if you just went direct from from Egypt to where to the Promised Land, you could actually walk it in less than three days? That's a sucky GPS. You know, forty years. So, you know, it can be happened to nations and people as well. I want to begin with a bit of a story, and some of you know this story a little bit about me. It's my story. It's um, not always. It's a bit of an embarrassing story. It's not always a a um. A wonderful thing, but it's one of life's big detours that happened to me. In 2005, I was working for YWAM in Europe, and I was enjoying it. I really was. I sort of found my stripes and, and found my, my way after being there for more than 11 years. Or um, I established a training team to run schools there that was growing. I had developed leadership courses for young people that we were delivering throughout the nation and people were coming to be trained. I was part of a global team in youth with a mission that was responsible for Western Europe, uh, that was responsible for the world and, and my responsibility was Western Europe and the UK. So I was moving between different nations doing training and curriculum and uh, developing the program training leaders. I was speaking and teaching on pretty much every continent and in various churches in the nation as well. I led teams to plant ministries and we, were, we had our heart set on 14 nations and by the time that I had left we had planted work in Poland, in Krakow in Poland and in Reykjavik in Iceland, ministries that were growing there. I was part of leading our base and I had been asked to take over as director this is really sounding really... I'm not big-heading myself. I'm, I'm getting to the bit that's not so fun. My influence was wide and connections were good. I had a really good best friend I hadn't had for years and we, we, had, we had great times. I was loving it, mostly. I was in my element and growing into it. Then, in 2000, late in 2005, we were in Mount Evelyn and Mount Evelyn asked us to consider to come and, and work there. In Mount Evelyn. Now you need to know that I always said to my kids and Sue, if we ever move back to Australia, 
It's going to be near the beach. And it's not going to be in the Reformed Church. <laughs> I end up in Mount Evelyn, go figure. So we said um, when Mount Evelyn, we said that we'd pray about it, but I kind of knew deep in my heart that it was uh, something that we that was going to happen. Sue had wanted to start go home, and uh, and I figured it was a bit of a done deal. I didn't really want to go. I remember the morning we left YWAM, we had this big farewell and be like Wade and Danny, except we had the whole base and this whole dinner. We left at six thirty in the morning, the middle of winter. It was January. It was almost snowing. And my friend would take us to the airport and we had, um, and the whole base came out. Almost everyone came out in their pajamas and whatever they had in their coats to, to farewell us. And I can still remember it and I can still feel it when we left because it was one of the times, um, that was tough for me. We, our kids, um, were ready to go except Joel wasn't really ready to go. His, his life, all he knew was, was Holland and, I can still remember, I can see the picture of us driving down the main street of the village heading to, uh, as we headed out to the highway to the airport. Joel sobbing uncontrollably. It broke my heart like nothing's broken my heart many, many years um, since. And um, so all that stuff's happening. And in two, early 2006, we landed in Mount Evelyn. And for me, this felt like a life detour. Trees, no beach, by the way, no sand. From my perspective, and this is important, I came from a global platform, a dynamic movement. I'd seen God move. I'd been a part of it. I had far reach and rich experience to the bush. Practically, we landed with four suitcases, about $1,000, $1,500 to our name. We'd given pretty much everything away, so we were starting again. We had donations of bits of furniture, a rented house, a loaned car, beds and chairs loaned to us and donated. This is all my view, isn't it? And church-wise, here's my view. My view, I, we had two or three youth, a church that had suffered some hard, hard years, that had great expectations, whose practices were perhaps a little bit foreign to me, to my experience. I came to a denomination that I didn't completely get, and that didn't get me. Mount Evelyn was gracious, accepted me in my ways. They were fantastic. But the denomination was another story. I had a rough couple of years in the beginning of the denomination. I was made, and I probably did it to myself, felt a bit like an imposter. I was too charismatic, too Pentecostal, too unconventional, too many, many words were traded. And then, oh, and I was unqualified, by the way. <laughs> and then to add to that, I joined that convention team. Thanks, Joe. That didn't help. <laughs> I'm telling you all this. To say that I was grumpy would have been an understatement. I lived in this perpetual state of grump. It just went up and down, you know. I was in Mount Evelyn and I wanted to be in Europe, in the world. I was trying to mobilize a few people who didn't really want to be there all the time, but I wanted to be back where my team was growing and with enthusiastic young people. I was a bit resentful, and at times I didn't even know who or what I was resentful to. I couldn't figure it out. Everything that didn't go right in ministry or family or the struggle starting new, I grumbled, I complained, I compared, I picked on things, my attitude sucked. But all my complaining, comparing, negativity didn't change where I was one bit. It didn't move me. But it was changing me. 
It was. My attitude wasn't changing my situation, but it was changing me. It was making me look at myself, at my situation, woe is me, all that kind of stuff, and not at God. It was making me not look at possibilities and blinding me to the fact that perhaps, and I've written perhaps in capital letters here, I was here by God's ordinance. Just maybe God was doing something and for a purpose. But you see, my attitude was such that I wasn't usable because I wasn't seeing it. My pride had caused me to fight God and not surrender. I didn't really like the detour that God had me on. I was less like Joseph and way, way more like the Israelites. To my shame, it took a year or more. And to be honest, I can still fall into it sometimes, and some of you know that. I was faced with a choice. I could grumble and complain and, and, and say that I don't like this, I don't want to be here, but the situation wasn't going to change. Or I'd be in the same situation and I could decide to have a positive attitude and look for what God was doing. And I did. It took me way too long to my shame. Like Joseph, when I chose to look at where God had brought me and I chose to ask him what he wanted, when I surrendered, things began to happen. Because just like Joseph, it turns out that the Lord was with me, even though I was there in a detour. It's not the only detour my life's ever gone through and probably will go through. But what did I learn and, and what am I learning and what can we learn from Joseph in the story? Because that was the story that I'd read way back then and I'd read it before and I heard someone speaking on it. That was what turned me around, that changed me. And change was slower than I wanted it to be and that probably most people wanted it to be. Here's it. What are we learning? Here's a bit of a background of Joseph. We read that little bit, but if we read a little bit earlier, Joseph was the favored son, wasn't he? He was the, the firstborn of Rachel. And Rachel, remember, was the one that Jacob really loved. And so her firstborn was kind of special to him. And so he sort of doted on, he spoiled um, Joseph and he mollycoddled him. This really annoyed his brothers. Anyone identify with that? Anyone got a big family and someone's the favorite and you think, of course not, we're all lovely Christians here. That doesn't happen, does it? This really annoyed his brothers. He was the favorite. He was haughty and presumptuous, wasn't he? He was the one that you wanted to hate on. You know, and he was terribly unwise in, you know, sharing his dreams and, and playing up, um, with his brothers. And that didn't help him. His life takes a massive detour, doesn't it? He's, he's enjoying life in Canaan with his dad. He's got the colored coat. He's the favored son. He's obviously not out in the fields doing the hard yards like the brothers because he's with his dad, isn't he? But his dad says, head out and say good day to the brothers. And he goes out to look for the brothers. They see the opportunity. Most of us know this story, don't we? What happens? Joseph's life takes a massive detour, a bit like maybe mine, but probably a lot more. But it's here that he discovers a life-giving twist because we see in Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph. And those words are key words to notice a couple of times. The Lord was with Joseph. 
God was in this and that is really going to matter. And we're going to see that that, the fact that God was with him is important. You and I might have said, you know, we hear that God is with with Joseph. We might have said, no, he's not. If he was with Joseph, he'd be back in Canaan with his doting dad and he wouldn't be a slave in Egypt. But the reality of God's withness, of God being with us, the reality is sometimes harder than that, isn't it? It isn't, it isn't easy. It can be hard. You see, because often God, I think I've got this on a slide, often God chooses to meet us with his blessing in a place that we do not choose to be. He blesses us on the detour. And at times, the place of blessing is not our place of preference. You know, the, the job you don't like, that family situation you, you never chose for, that life circumstance that you would have rather avoided, the crisis that you're trying and you tried so long to avoid, the relationship that isn't always what you love, the place, the city or the state or the country that, that doesn't give you the options that you want, the comfort and security that you've tried to engineer. And it was working, but it fell apart. That faith community that isn't always what you want. I could go on, couldn't I? Do you know or can you testify to some of those things or do you know someone that can in their life? You know, I had to think when I was writing this, I had to think of that Toyota ad. Have you seen that Toyota ad recently on the TV? Where everything's going wrong, there's these two guys standing in a lift and then they're stuck in the lift for hours and then the sprinklers come on. or Everything's going wrong and then the guy says, I'm still feeling it. Anyone seen that ad? You haven't? You guys got to watch more TV. Netflix doesn't have ads. Don't watch Netflix. You know, you know, Joseph probably wasn't still feeling it. Now, I don't intend to be trite. I don't want to be trite about some of the detours or things that can happen in our life. I recognize the significance and the impact of some of those things. This is not what that's about. I recognize that some of us encounter challenging and even life-altering detours. And yet... In those and many that range, in many details that range from mildly annoying through to frustrating and challenging and downright tough, the question is, can you see God in it? Can you look for God in it and see what he might be doing? Can you see what he might want to do in you and through you? Is God's perspective perhaps a little bit longer and wider and greater than, than we see? Is he doing something long-term that he wants us to be part of? What's our response in that? You see, God was faithful in Joseph's detour. But Joseph was faithful in Joseph's detour as well. And that's really important to see. This matters. We choose how we'll posture ourselves on the detours of life. We can close our hearts, we can close our eyes and mind like I did, or we can lay our hearts open to God and cooperate with what he's doing and look for how we can, we can join God in what he's doing. We can hear the words that God spoke through Isaiah to his people. 
You know, hear the echo of those words sometimes, and, and they're, they're encouraging for me. And I think I've got them up there. I've got a scripture up there, Isaiah 40, 43, verse 19. is one of the ones I love. You know, he says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When you don't think it's possible, I'm doing stuff. Look and see. We choose how we posture ourselves. God's faithfulness in Joseph's life didn't manifest in a rescue mission. You know, you can say, God is faithful. He's gonna, he, that didn't mean that he rescued him and extracted him from his detour. That's how the movies work, you know. As it turns out, Joseph's gonna be there for a long time and he actually dies there. We know that. God is faithful on the detour and through it, but he doesn't remove Joseph from it. Joseph has a choice to be faithful in it, to look for God in it. What if God wants to be present in faithful in my detours, in your situations and detours? What if he chooses to make his presence powerfully available when you're in the space that you least desire to be? What if? Or we might protest like I did, and but I don't want to experience the blessing of God here. I don't want it in Egypt. I want it in Canaan, Joseph could have said. I don't want to experience the blessing of God in Mount Evelyn or in the Australia and the river. I want to be. We might say that. But sometimes we don't get to choose, do we? But will we still open our hearts to God? Will we open our lives to his work and his blessing while we might not be where we want to be? Will we, and this is an old cliche, but I stuck it in there anyway, will we bloom where we're planted? Will we choose to do that? We can waste a lot of time wishing we were somewhere else. I did. And then we might perhaps miss out on the miracle of God using us and the gift of God transforming us. Miss the things that he's planned for us. You know, I, um, many of you know my ride bikes. Uh, I ride a bike with John Visser and uh, many of you know John and he often talks with confidence about the fact that he's not going to die yet. And the reason he says that, and he uses the next scripture up there, and the, the next Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works was God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And John will say, I still have stuff to do for God, so I'm not going to die yet. But when you're not watching, do you miss out on what God has? When you're not aware of the fact that that God has planned things for you to do with your life. When you're surrendered to him, he's planned it. And that wherever you are is not going to thwart his plans. It's not going to change his plans. And maybe, just maybe, that is his plan. But it turns out okay for Joseph, right? He's Potiphar. Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's... Pharaoh's um, officer of the army and quite a high person. He's Potiphar's right-hand man. So in the end, big detour, but it turns out all right, doesn't it? Well, actually, no. It's going to get worse because along comes Mrs. Potiphar. And Mrs. Potiphar has a plan that doesn't really work. And we know that story too, and we read that. So now there's another quite shocking detour in Joseph's life, isn't it? It gets worse. And this one was terribly unjust, as was the one before. But we see again, and we read, in, in, and what Philippa read with us in verse 21, we see again 
But the Lord was with Joseph. There's those words again. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything. They could have escaped, I used to think, as a kid, that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. There's those words again. And Joseph chooses yet again to be faithful. What a guy, right? And he becomes a leader in the prison. Joseph doesn't shut down in dismay. He doesn't close off when this next detour comes. And I think, why, and I'm thinking, why is that? Why, why might that be? See, I think Joseph's faithfulness in difficult times comes from trust. He was an obnoxious 17-year-old, and sometimes you think, wow. But I think there was this deep sense of trust that he had in his God. And trust in God is key. If we don't trust God, then why be faithful when we hit a detour or things get hard? If we can't trust God. But if we can choose to trust God, if we trust that he sees us, that he knows us, that he cares about us, if we can believe that he's actually involved in our lives, working out his purposes, has a plan, then we want to be faithful. And we're all like that. If you can see it, you want to be faithful. We want to cooperate. And, um, you know, there's the, the scripture in Proverbs 3, and I read the message version of that week, and I thought I would share that with you. I think it has a really nice take. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. That's a good oops, you know, admonishment, isn't it? Where do you find it hard to trust God and perhaps even trust his motives? What areas do you find it scary to trust God, to, to let him decide or to let him direct where you end up or where you're going or scary to surrender? Like me sometimes, is your trust built on what you can see and then it falters when you can't see? Joseph couldn't have seen or imagined the big picture. You see, he would go on not only to be the right-hand man of the officer to Pharaoh, but he'd become the right-hand man to Pharaoh himself, the number two to the most powerful man in a nation and arguably the known world then. How cool is that? Check out this. I'm going to read a couple of verses from from chapter 41 that we didn't read. Listen to this. This is what Pharaoh, this is the most, the, the, most, the, the, the most powerful man in the world. This is what Pharaoh says. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order the, themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And he takes his ring and gives him a ring. He says, moreover, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. Wow. Like, wow. Seriously. 
he's now in a position. What? Now that's another detour, but that's a good detour, isn't it? That's a whew, that beats a coloured coat any day of the week, doesn't it? Why? Because God had a way, way bigger plan than Joseph could see as an obnoxious 17-year-old or even as a faithful servant to Potiphar. He positioned Joseph in a place of influence to rescue a nation from famine and to save his own people. Joseph came to recognize the hand of God moving behind his pain to keep his people alive. Joseph's humility, which was seemingly missing when he was younger, allowed him to be a key link in God's redemption plan. There's a message for me in this today and and for you and for us as well, isn't there? What I discovered in myself and what I see around me in the modern evangelical world is that things like detours, hardship, difficulty, hard work, struggle, things not being the way that we want or expect them to be or adapting, we distance them from a life working, walking with God. We think they're not a part of God's journey with us. And in fact, even at times, these things are seen as the absence of God or not what God would want for me. So I'm not happy with that. We see that happen in our evangelical world, that those things are, that must be separate from God. That must be because God's upset or that must be because we're, That's not true because what this creates in us is restlessness, dissatisfaction, indignation and more. It did in me. What we need to learn that at times God allows difficulty on the journey to redemption and that he can use hardship to forge a rescue story that we hadn't even imagined yet. And we know this from Scripture. We don't just need Joseph's story. We've got Gideon. We've got so many people. We've got the Israelites. And we know this from Scripture. And we see it, but we forget and we don't apply that same truth. Because it's one thing to look at Scripture or to look at someone else's struggle and agree that God is at work and God's been at work and he will be at work. But it's another to trust that he's at work in our life, isn't it? Sometimes the detours can be fertile ground for transformation if we'll let them be. You might find it hard to identify with this message, or maybe you don't. Maybe things are just the way that you want them to be and and expect them to be right now. Maybe you've been really good at engineering your detours away and having the means and determination to get where you want and to think where you should be. And again, I... I want to recognize that detours are tough and and I want to be trite about it again and I don't want to make light of some of the things that happen in our life. But I guess like me, there are times in our life, maybe you've had them, maybe they're still coming, maybe you're in one, that ask us to face the same kind of decisions that Joseph had to make. Will we trust God? Will we walk with him through the detours and ask him for eyes to see beyond what we can see humanly? to what he might be doing in us and through us. I was going to tell the story of the tapestry, but you all know that the back side of a tapestry looks terrible, doesn't it? And when I saw the back side of my tapestry, all I did is complain. That was horrible. But when you look at the front side, 
I wonder what Joseph was thinking when he was in the middle looking at the back of his tapestry. And then I wonder how amazed he must have been when he saw the front of it. I was not always a good example when I looked at the back with confusion and annoyance, but God by his grace, and I mean this, God by his grace, has allowed me glimpses of the front in the last 13 years and I'm both humbled and proud. And I've been able to see what God is doing. Look for God in the detours. Trust God in them. He hasn't left or forgotten you. He hasn't decided to use someone else. In fact, he will use a surrendered and obedient you. After all, in the end, it isn't about us, is it? And and here's the kicker. Here's what blows my mind about this story. And I just added this in. This part of Scripture always confused me because all this work to get God's people, to get the Hebrews, to get Israel into Egypt... Where are God's, at the end of Joseph's story, where are God's people? In Egypt. What happens to them in Egypt? Huh? I can't hear. Bondage, slavery. What does God do then? He rescues them from Egypt. What a, what a futile idea, you know, just, ooh. Why? He rescues them, Pharaoh, the desert. And I used to think, why? What was the use of all that? It seems mean even. What was that all about? And then it dawned on me. Our life isn't about us. The people of Israel didn't exist for themselves. All that happened in the life of God's people was so that they and the nations of the earth would see, hear and know the power and the glory of God throughout the earth. That was what it was all for. What if my life's for that? What if your life's for that? What if your detours are for that as well? So that at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And if God's got to take a nation to somewhere where he eventually has to rescue them from, then he can do that. Trust. Check your attitude. Be open. Choose to be faithful. Ask God to open your eyes to the opportunities and what he is doing where you are. Shift your focus from what's not possible to what is possible and know that he is still with you, just like he was with Joseph. You know, we have a a much, much greater example than Joseph even than don't we, the results of obedience on a detour. The results of surrender to God's plans that bring about redemption. Jesus himself. And we can look at Joseph. We can look at all these people that were faithful. But man, if there was someone that took a detour, if there was someone that left an an amazing Canaan and went to Egypt, it was Jesus himself, wasn't it? And this redemption was not just the redemption of a nation in time. This was a redemption of all humanity, you and I. Us, our redemption. And he just didn't leave Canaan, a doting dad and a coloured coat for Egypt. He left heaven, perfect communion with his father, to take on human form, to live with us, to give his life so that we could be freed. You see, Jesus not only saw the big picture, he knew the big picture. And he took the detour willingly. He didn't get sold into slavery. He didn't, it was, he took the detour. He saw the detour and he took it willingly. He took the less exciting option, the harder road because of his passion for us and his love for his father. 
when you ponder that, that Christ went as far as to die for us, how can we not also with confidence trust that he'll be with us in times when our life detours from where we thought we were going? Do you know, and we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper, and again, you know, the, the Bible is just full of amazing segues that lead us into what Jesus did, isn't it? How can you not celebrate Lord's Supper, look at that and say, wow. How can you not give thanks for for someone that took a massive detour, not just to redeem a nation, but to redeem you, me, us? And I think of the disciples and Jesus. There is no way Jesus could have planted in their minds the significance of what he was going to do. And so the best that he could do, what he could do is say, guys, when you gather, remember, believe and celebrate that this was for you. You're going to get this as you walk the road. There's going to be detours, but you're going to get this. My detour was so that your detours will matter. And that's true for us as well. So as we celebrate Lord's Supper this morning, I want you to fill your mind with that, that, that Jesus' detour that he took willingly was made so that your details, your life will matter, that it's going to make a difference. His faithfulness is the only platform that we have for our faithfulness to step up and trust. And that's what he does in our life. And if you know this, Jesus, if you know Jesus' detour was for you, that his redemption plan was to save you and to bring you into a kingdom of eternal life, then we want to celebrate with you this morning. So I'm just going to invite our elders up, and and as they come up, I want to just remind us of when Jesus was with his disciples. And as they'd finished eating, as they gathered together, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. They didn't get that yet. They didn't understand that yet. This is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and as he poured out the cup, he said, and and guys, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you... Eat the bread when you drink the cup. Remember that this was for your redemption. This was that we will be together in eternity. So remember that this morning as we gather. So we're going to have two stations. Come on forward and take the elements. Pop back in your seats and we're going to celebrate together this morning.